and blessings to you. Welcome to the new Just Us Speaks podcast from Just Leadership. I am your co-host, Lester Young. And I'm your co-host, Hakeem Crampton. Just Us Speaks is being produced to amplify the voices of directly impacted people, particularly the voices of formerly incarcerated people. Just Leadership was founded on the principle that those who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution, but too often further from the power and resources to affect positive change. So on this special episode of the Just Us Speaks podcast, we're excited to bring you the audio from the recent Black History Month live stream hosted by our CEO and president, Deanna Hoskins, entitled Dismantling Jim Crow. Deanna is joined in this conversation by leaders who are making history now through their work to dismantle the legacy of Jim Crow. So indeed, you'll hear from Jay Jordan, who is the CEO of Alliance for Safety and Justice and co-founder and national director of Time Done. You also hear from Keisha Hamilton, co-founder and co-chair of Racing for Equity, and Kyle Bacon, criminal legal reform activist and member, Justice Coordinating Council Steering Committee. Here's the audio from the online conversation. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to the Just Us Speaks on your favorite podcast platform if you haven't already. Peace. Hello, and welcome to Live with Just Us. Just Leadership's live discussion series. I am Deanna Hoskins, President and CEO of Just Leadership USA. We amplify the power of directly impacted people by investing, educating, and empowering and elevating their voices. So they have the tools and resources to self-organize, advocate for themselves, their families, and their communities. Together, we build an equitable, fair, and just U.S., as systems impacted people, we know that the disproportionate harms experienced by Black people, families, and communities at the hands of the criminal legal system across the country are no accident. They represent policy choices and systems that have been birthed in stigma, bias, and racism. From Jim Crow laws to the carceral system today, we see that these racist and oppressive systems are alive and well. Today, the carceral system are a catch basin for the failures of intertwined systems that perpetrate harm across our communities. Today, in honor of Black History Month, we are joined by leaders who are making history now through their own work to dismantle these systems. Please welcome Jay Jordan, CEO of Alliance for Safety and Justice and co-founder and national director of Time Done, Keisha Hamilton, co-founder and co-chair of Race for Equity, and Kyle D. Bacon, community-based strategist, activist, and leader. Thank you all and welcome. I would like to take some time just for you guys to give two to three minute just snapshot of the work that you're doing currently in your community before we get into some questions. And I'll start with you, Jay. Uh, it's always good to be online with uh, my beloved brothers and sisters fighting a good fight. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm Jay Jordan. Uh, I have the pleasure of serving as the CEO of Alliance for Safety and Justice. And I also moonlight as the uh, national director for one of our flagship programs, Time Done. I'll start with Time Done. So, well, if you think of ASJ as a plane um, and on one wing, uh, we organize uh, survivors of crime uh, and survivors of crime um, want healing. Uh, they want services and they want what happened to them not to happen ever again. And they want upstream solutions. Uh, on the other wing, uh, we have people living with old records. Uh, and, you know, we organize people living with old records uh, around the country and 
Uh, we want to be able to take care of ourselves and our families. Uh, we want to remove economic stigma and barriers uh, and build pathways to success. And the plane is headed towards what we call shared safety. It's the belief that safety in communities is not just the absence of crime, but it's the presence of well-being. Mm -hmm. um, and for too long, we have relied on government bureaucracy uh, to provide safety in communities when in fact, the very thing that they are providing is crime response, mm. not safety. And so we are responsive to the needs of both um, victims of crime and people who've been through the justice system to ensure that their needs are met on the front end so we don't have to worry about crime response on the back end and spend billions of dollars, taxpayer dollars, in a failed response. Thank you, Jay. I really appreciate that and love the work you guys are doing. Keisha? Good afternoon. And also, thank you for having me. Super excited to be here with you all. I always love these spaces because they're always just so affirming. Um, so I'm Keisha Hamilton. I'm a local community leader here in Jackson, Michigan. Um, I'm a member of the local board of education, elected member of that uh, board of education. I'm also the co-founder and the co-chair of Racing for Equity. So we established Racing for Equity to address the complicated reality of race and racism and its impact on our specific community here in Jackson. Um, one of the ways that we identified to address those impacts and race is to offer community-wide book clubs. So we call this book club Community Reads, and we read between three to four books a year as a community. These books, we are specific in how we choose them. They are all coming from uh, Black and Brown authors who are obviously the most, probably the only qualified folks to talk about race and racial issues and also the only qualified folks to offer solutions to them. So for our community, we recognize that we needed to embark on an education campaign for them. Unfortunately, you know, 400 years plus in, white supremacy and whiteness has done a very good job of hiding and masking and whitewashing the truth. And our community is interesting in that we are really, you know, hidden and, and just oblivious and, and ignorant uh, to the truth. So we, like I said, started out on this campaign. One of our first uh, things that we decided to do was to create these community reads, again, coming from Black authors, because we recognize not only do we need to educate them, but we also need to also uh, expand them to hear from Black people. So that's that's part of what we do for Racing for Equity. A lot of what I do in the community, though, is all around race and racial equity. So I sit at a couple of different tables. And what I do in those spaces is really just bring that conversation of racism, how it's impacting the space that I'm in, the individuals that are being uh, that are impacted by the space that I'm in. So at the board table, our students, our families, our community. Um, so, yes, everything that I do for, for the most part in my community goes all around race and racial equity and, and just educating and, and, and demanding more. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your work, especially around the educational system of our children. Kyle D. Bacon. Peace, family. Happy Black History Month. I want to first start by saying thank you to Just Leadership, Just Us, uh, for creating the space for these conversations to happen and take place. And um, for myself personally, I want to acknowledge the elders who are now ancestors who um, paved the way for us to be able to be here and to do the work that we're doing as much as we wouldn't want to be continue to addressing some of the problems that continue to exist that we'll be talking about today. Um, we acknowledge the work, the efforts, the sacrifices that have been made uh, before us. And it is in part the labor that they have put forth that has inspired me to the work that I, I do. My background is in youth development. You know, I focus my experience in bridging gaps between communities that center the Black lived experience, uh, led, managed, and supported culturally competent programs that center and elevate communities. Um, across the country, 
particularly around social and emotional learning models, participant buy-in and advocacy, and wraparound support systems. So over the years, I've I've served as a director and led mentor programs of partnerships, cultivated strategic, strategic partnerships for national organizations that support children and families that have been impacted uh, directly by incarceration and other systemic inequities. And I utilize the tools that I've cultivated over the years in both business and education for development, program implementation, intervention efforts. And what's been most special to me is the work, of, uh, the restorative work with young people who have had direct contact and experience with the criminal legal system and working alongside them as a partner in creating their life forward. That's been such a special part uh, of my journey. The last piece that I really take pride in um, is my background in training as a curator of developmental relationships where I aim to drive positive life, community and legislative outcomes. And so it's in the space that um, I've been able to invest in and expand the capacity of other leaders, mentors, collective stakeholders to be more effective partners in this community work. We know that we're not going to mentor, we're not going to program, we're not going to nonprofit our way out of the systems that are harming us. So we have to marry that with doing root cause work Mm-hmm. So as a consultant and strategic advisor, my expertise has been in building coalitions around justice issues and, uh, and addressing those root causes with a client portfolio that includes nonprofit, for-profit, and government entities so that we're doing a both-and approach and not continuing to uh, mill around the edges. Thank you. Thank you all for that introduction of your work. And there's so much more that you all do. <laughs> Just Leadership USA amplifies the power of directly impacted people by investing, educating, empowering, and elevating their voices so they have the tools and resources to self-organize and advocate for themselves, their families, and their communities. Together, we build an equitable, fair, and just U.S. To date, over 1,400 leaders in 45 states and in Washington, D.C., are hard at work transforming people and communities who are harmed by mass incarceration. Please partner with us to bend the arc of criminal legal reform by donating to our leadership programs today. Our network of leaders is strong and growing. Together, we're building local power for national impact. Every donation supporting JLUSA and our leaders has a ripple effect across families, communities, and generations. With your support, we can continue working together towards our singular vision of a just, equitable future for all. To learn more, go to jlusa.org backslash give 2023. That's jlusa.org backslash give2023. For the framing of this conversation, dismantling Jim Crow, I was having a conversation with a pastor friend, and I never thought of Black life in the way that he said it. And he said, Deanna, there are three eras of Black life, slavery, Jim Crow, mass incarceration. And when I looked at those eras of mass incarceration, what I guess we would call the modern day, And I look at the barriers, the oppression during slavery, during Jim Crow, and I started to ask myself, what has really changed? What has really changed for Black life? So my first question that I just want to throw out there to the group 
if it appears that we're still limited in areas of education, employment, housing, where we can live, even safety, right, around our community, how can we advance a holistic vision of racial equity that actually enacts opportunities across the spectrum, education, employment, housing, and more? What is that holistic vision of racial equity in that, in that playing field? And believe me, I don't have an answer. That's why I'm asking y'all. <laughs> so I'm going to jump in <laughs> before, before my brother's answer. <laughs> um, we know that, you know, um, white supremacy and whiteness, which is, you know, the white racialized identity, identity, the cultures and norms, they adapt themselves with different faces to maintain their positions of supremacy. You know what I mean? So we're talking, you know, uh, slavery, you know, Jim Crow and then mass incarceration because white supremacy and whiteness just adapts itself, you know, with each era that comes along to maintain its, its uh, position of uh, supremacy. So like you, Diana, I don't have the answer, but <laughs> I do believe that we advance holistically by doing all the things. You know, so all the things I say, I like to say we chew gum and we walk at the same time. You know, we educate ourselves on, you know, my area is racial justice and racial equity. So we educate ourselves on racial equity. We re educate ourselves on how it impacts education, employment, housing, all the areas. Um, we either support those who are running for office, you know, who understand these things. You know, we run for office ourselves, you know, even specifically in education. You know, we um, we understand, you know, where we educate ourselves. We, we organize the people. We build community you know, um, and where it's possible, we create our own, you know what I mean? But we do all the things, you know, all the things. How do we advance holistically? You know, um, one, we keep hope alive, which is why we continue to do the work that we do besides those, you know, aside from and despite those three eras that we <laughs> have existed in, you know, so we, that's how we keep hope alive. But we do all the things, you know, we chew gum, we walk at the same time, we we do all the things. We just don't stop, you know, so that's just one, one answer. <laughs> Thank you, Keisha. I think that's exactly right, uh, Sister Keisha. It's, uh, it's constantly evolving and first acknowledging the lived violence that these experiences are, the violence of inequitable and harmful educational systems that actively erase and make invisible the Black and Indigenous experience and seeing how not only the language of that, but how that plays out in the public sphere. We're seeing in states and communities across the country the active erasure of uh, the black lived experience, which is a violent in and of itself when you are in a school setting um, with the aim to learn the violence of employment systems that prevent people from making fair and livable wages and safe conditions and you know, where their humanity is, is not valued and doesn't include their holistic health, the violence of insecure, unaffordable and unsafe housing, the violence of hunger and food insecurity. Start by acknowledging and naming those things as we not only see them, but all of us have lived lived and lived through them. And I think secondly, acknowledge that none of these things as Deanna shared in her opening framing, none of this stuff exists in a vacuum or as a matter of, of happenstance. And you know, as we look to advance a holistic shared vision of racial equity in our shared community, we have to be clear that the work intersects with, with race and class and holistic identity and that you know, these conversations are very much economic as they are cultural. And as we look around from a solution standpoint that Deanna is, is positing us towards, none of what we see is an accident of history, but it's a product of power, it's a product of policy, and it's a product of priorities. And so for us, being intentional about changing the priorities is what changes communities in this country, right? Learning to 
listen differently, both when we are in community with other directly impacted members, as well as when we're sitting at and across the table of legislators and policymakers, shifting the lens and fully embracing our community and our community members as full assets of our communities and making sure that we're being intentional about steering away from this deficit-based approach that historically our communities have not only been, been talked about, but how the attempts at so-called solutions are often framed. And so we're gonna get a deficit result from a deficit approach and seeing our communities talking and living from an asset-based approach, um, I think is extremely critical, Deanna. Centering the voices as you're doing here of the expertise and the lived experiences is huge. And I think for me as, as someone who does community-centered work, leveraging the power that we have in collective community through organizing people and organizing our organizing our money to to be intentional about shifting the power policy and priorities. Thank you. I like that power policy and priorities. Okay. Um, so you might hear that again. I'm just letting y'all know. Go ahead, Jay. <laughs> uh, that's a really big question, right? Because you're not, you're, you're not only talking about the current situation we're in now, you're literally talking about like, uh, uh, hundreds of years, years, right? Of like, and even before that, right? Like, you know, because our true identity is not just an American identity, mm -hmm. you know? And so when we talk about the constellation of brilliance and the connective tissue of the di with the diaspora, we're not the only Black folk in the diaspora that are experiencing what we experience in America. You know what I mean? Look what they're doing. Like, look at those folks in France our brothers and sisters in France, right? Look at our brothers and sisters in Brazil, how they're just getting killed off in the favelas and no one is saying anything, right? You know, black Mexicans, you know, look what they're doing in, ha um, in Haiti, right? Like how Dominicans really don't rock with Haitians, right? So it's like, when we look at this problem, it is not just a problem of, you know, kind of American proportions. It is literally happening in, in, in all the tens of millions of black folks in the diaspora. But like funneling it down into the American context, for me, it starts with like the brilliance of us. And what does that actually mean? I mean, you know, I, I made it a point not to watch the death of our brother Tyree. Mm -hmm. Me too. Right? I, I, I refuse to watch any black body being publicly crucified and lynched right, for the enjoyment and the entertainment of ratings. I refuse to do it, mm -hmm. you know? I refuse to watch a black girl getting slammed because she don't want to listen to an officer at a swimming pool. Like, I refuse to watch that because I already have that rage inside of me. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's about black brilliance and how do we amplify that? How do we organize black brilliance that's the first thing that comes to mind because there are brilliant black people here in this country and around the world that for whatever reason, it is codified in commerce, right? It's like, it's all about, only time you see black brilliance kind of raised to the level of collective enjoyment is like, well, it has to be about entertainment or commerce. We gotta That's be right. making money off of it. We gotta go yep. get the bag. And it's like, no, let's just enjoy black brilliance. You know, let's just enjoy it, right? And what does you that know, mean? Right. And so and so starting from black brilliance, then you go and say, OK, what is the geopolitical strategies to inject that black brilliance into every corner of this uh, of this country? 
it starts with, I'm glad we got a system from education on here because it starts right there, yeah. right? What does it mean to tell little black boys and black girls you were brilliant, right? You know, what does it mean to when the black boy and the black girl then goes off and feel like they're not brilliant and try to find an identity somewhere, right? What does it mean to then have a community of black yeah. brilliance to wrap our arms around them? And so, you know, we don't need a government bureaucracy. We need each other. Because every single time black folks in this country have asked for safety, have asked for economic uh, um, empowerment, has asked for equality and equity, we've gotten government. We've gotten government, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm tired of that government solutions. What we need is a black brilliant solution to be able to build the geopolitical kind of hubs to wrap our arms around our babies. That's the first step. We are so excited to invite you to the Just Leadership USA 9th Annual Benefit Gala, Monday, June 5th, 2023, at PhD Rooftop Lounge at Dream Downtown in New York City. We're excited to bring JLUSA leaders, allies, and advocates together in person to unite around our shared values and propel our vision for the future. During the last year, we've made significant strides in building our capacity and infrastructure to become the only national systems change movement and policy table led by and for directly impacted people. This coming June, please join us for our first in-person celebration in over two years. Learn more at jlusa.org backslash gala. That's J-L-U-S-A dot O-R-G backslash G-A-L-A. There's three steps. The second step for me is the political step, right? And we're all doing this. You know, we say, you know, I'm in the movement. I was talking to my wife, Carmen, this morning, and she was like, you know, we do movement building. I'm like, what the hell is a movement? Like, explain to me what the movement is and movement building. Let's define these definite, like these words. Because for me, the movement is like anybody that is working to dismantle and to like dismantle oppression and build and build up community, right? Like, and, it, and if you're in that, what does that mean to like actually have black brilliance show up in every part of the movement? Right. Because people in the movement are working on environmental justice, working on education justice, gen gender justice, uh, uh, criminal justice. Right. So what does it mean to have black brilliance show up? And I love what the brother said, not from a deficit based framework, but from a black brilliance asset based framework, we'll get better results. So what is the political strategy that injects black brilliance? And then the last part I would say is and it's the, the toughest one, because this is where all of the energy and all the money's at. Right. All the energy and money is at peeling back the harm. Like it's like a harm reduction. All the money, all philanthropic money, all the money for, you know, from, from big media. It's like we need to end, you know, to end mass incarceration. We need to end patriarchy. We need to end. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I am exhausted of trying to end something. Yeah. Let me build something. But we have to, we have to do that work. So so if you inject black brilliance into our babies and build community around our babies and our youth. If you inject black bril brilliance into movement building, building up community, and then inject black brilliance in the political situation, the political solution to uh, um, peeling back the harm that's done, I think we get to a better result. But it takes a long time. And last thing I'll say, and excuse me, y'all, my daddy's a preacher, so you know, I, you know, when I say in closing, that means I got like five more minutes left. <laughs> but like, but like, it, it, it like. 
you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, we got to have patience and not patience with like, oh, we, we got to wait, but just like, give us, give ourselves some grace here. Mm. We are carrying the weight of all the whips, all the chains, all the bondage, all the tears, all the frustration on our back, years and years and years of that. And, and we are expecting to be like, okay, we're going to end this right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to have a, a seven generation strategy. We just can't say, what is the five year strategy? I know funders love that three year strategy, five year strategy, but we did a seven generation strategy. What yeah. are we looking at in 20 in 2050 and 2100? Right. Like, because right. that those, those times are going to come and, and, and the people that are, that don't want to see us succeed, you better believe they have a 50-year strategy, a 100-year strategy, a 150-year strategy. But we can't think that far in advance because we're still stuck on the third bucket, which is trying to build, peel back the harm. Thank you for that. And, and you guys said something really important when you talk about peeling back the harm, trauma-induced incidents that are happening, and all these things. You know, I, I chuckled when you said peeling back the harm because I'm like, even if I try to peel back some harm that's already been happening, today's society with the cameras and all this stuff continues to inject harm into me, right? And I'm probably one of the only people who refused to watch 50 Cent's episodes of Power. It was too triggering to me because I lived that lifestyle, right? I was entrenched in that. And I'm like, Jay, I can't... I think when there becomes a certain level of awareness, watching those videos or even hearing about it actually infuses in your internal organs right the anger the fear and i'm gonna be honest with you most of my anger comes from that not out of anger but out of fear because i have two african-american sons that i know at any day any situation that could have easily been one of my kids thank you for listening stay tuned for part two